Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books. I'm your host, Bernadette Walsh, and I am so pleased to introduce my guest today, Gina Ardito. Gina writes lighthearted romance. A fellow Long Islander, Gina has written over 18 books, and her latest release is Memories in December. In addition to her writing, Gina has conducted writers' workshops across the country. So welcome, Gina, to Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books. I'm so happy you could join me today. How are you? Oh, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here, and I'm doing great. It's a bit rainy here today, but we'll manage. We'll get through. Yes, we will. We will. Well, sometimes I like those rainy days because I don't have to feel guilty about, you know, not going outside. And I'm hoping today my daughter – my daughter's going to, like, an hours-long uh, – dance competition uh, dance preparation for a dance competition so i'm hoping i have a couple of hours you know in between laundry and everything else to work on my next book so i i i think most writers you know there's there's a good thing about rainy days right oh absolutely (laughs) so um so gina um maybe you could talk a little bit about how long you've been writing um and you know what made you start writing romance Oh, goodness. I started writing uh, when I was pregnant with my son. Um, I was bed confined, and um, I didn't know what to do with myself. And for years, I had always told my husband, I want to write, I want to write, I'm going to write a book someday. And this was back in the early 90s, so computers were not, you didn't have a laptop, you didn't have tablets, but he brought home an old desktop from his office. He set it up on a table in my living room, and he said, this is your opportunity. Shut up and write the book. And I did. And then I started going to the library and looking into how to publish it or you know, how to pursue publication, and I joined Romance Writers of America. Um, and the rest is history. I mean, I, I wrote that first book in 1996, um, I published it in 2006, I want to say, so 10 years to get published. And from there, it's just taken off. Romance, why romance? Because it's always been my favorite. It's one of those things where no matter what story you're writing, as long as you have two people overcoming odds and finding a happy ending on the other side, you've got a romance. Right. What more it's so funny for? that your it was your husband who encouraged you because I have a similar story. Um, it was right after my daughter was born, and I had been talking since we met about how I'd love to write. You know, someday I want to write a book when I'm retired, when I you know have time because I have a full time job, and you know that I had a new baby. And um, he bought a new computer, and he said, "Here, this is your computer. Stop talking about it. Just do it." <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And so I started writing, and it was probably about um, the first chapter. It sounded like a contract because I'm a lawyer by training. It was so dry, and I was so discouraged. But then I said, well, listen, I have, I'm a smart person. There has to be a way to, to, to um, figure out how to do this, you know. 
So I started, you know, going online. Um, I, I looked at the snowflake method, which was kind of breaks it down because I think trying to sit down and write a book is so overwhelming, right? It's so, it it's is. just too big. So, um, and then I, of course, joined RWA, which really helped me learn about, you know, all the things I was doing wrong. So it's funny. My husband was the catalyst. He has yet to read one of my books. He exactly. Mine that. either. <laughs> He'll, oh, he'll read the first three chapters. He'll bring a book. He'll go on vacation or on a business trip, and he'll say, give me one of your books. I'm going to read it this time. And sucker me, I fall for it every time. I give him a book. He'll read three chapters on the plane. He'll put it down and never pick it up again. Yeah. So you can ask him about any three chapters in any of my books, and he'll be able to tell you about those first three chapters. Other than that, he knows nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's worth my my husband said that Bernadette, because I write under a pen name, he goes, Bernadette scares him. <laughs> and I said, she probably should, <laughs> because bad things She happen. does have a devious <laughs> mind. I have read many yes. of her books. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you're like, it's so funny, Gina. Like, you're my biggest fan. You're you're so great. You always, like, read my books and, and leave me very, you know, thoughtful reviews. But I, oh, think I you know that. Oh, I am such a rabid fan of your work. <laughs> Because it's dark and twisted, and that, that's what I love, but I can't write it. My stuff always just comes out funny and sunny. I mean, I wrote an entire series where the main characters commit suicide in the first chapter. They have to. It's how the book begins. And yet, they're the funniest books I've written. <laughs> so, go figure. It's funny. Well, my first book, I thought, because people are like, oh, yeah, you're so funny. You should write, you know, you should write a, a comedy. And... It's funny, you discover yourself as a writer, and maybe on the surface, I'm, you know, friendly and uh, somewhat amusing, but I guess deep down, I'm really not. (laughs) Very dark and twisted. And so my first book is, you know, kind of a light romance, and it's it's probably my least compelling work. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's, as I've gone on, I've really discovered myself. So I think, you know, your, your writing kind of maybe shows your true person, you know, your true personality. So it's actually good for you that you write lighthearted comedy because it shows that you're at underneath a very positive person. Well, I guess I could look at it that way. I actually, I had started out writing historicals. And I wrote these big, sweeping, epic historicals that take place all over the world, and they did not sell. And it was a friend of mine who challenged me. She said, you know, why don't we both try to write contemporary? And I said, all right, well, we'll give it a shot and see what happens. And when I pitched the idea that I had for a story to her, she said, that sounds like a romantic comedy. And I said, I I can't write comedy. And she said, oh, are you kidding? You're one of the funniest people I know. Just sit down and write it. And I did, and it was the first book I sold. And so you found yourself. Yeah, so that was it. It I found my voice. I found out who I am. Now I've reacquired the rights to those historicals, and I plan to update them and infuse some of that lighter voice into them and maybe take out so that they're not traveling quite so much. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I think I'm going to hope to re-release those within the next year or two. So you've been involved, as you said, in romance for quite some time. So where has your writing publishing journey gone? Have you, did you start with a publisher? Have you since gone to self-publish? Are you a hybrid? Where are you in that? I am currently a hybrid, um, but I do find that I love being indie. Um, So I still have several books with uh, Montlake Romance, which is uh, the publishing arm of Amazon, 
But um, what I have discovered is that when I started out again, my first book was published in 2006. So it was really before um, the Kindle, before indie publishing, before Amazon had their platform. And at that time, indie publishing or self-publishing was looked down. It was one of those things where you could publish your grocery list and everybody would be, oh, you're a published author. Um, So it really, there was a stigma attached to that. And it's taken the last 10 or 12 years for that to disappear. But what I have found is I have some issues with editors. I have lots of issues with cover art. (laughs) So... I really like having control of those things. I have an editor now that I absolutely adore working with. She gets me. She gets my voice. She knows what I want to change or what I need her to focus on, and she knows how to look for those little weaknesses that I have. My cover artist, same thing. Um, I have one series that I wrote that is still with Montlake, and it was published originally by another publisher. And they always ask you for your cover art suggestions doesn't mean they're going to take what you say, but Mm -hmm. they do ask. And in this particular case, it was a three-part series about three sisters, and I wanted to focus on on an Adirondack chair. So in the first book, I wanted the Adirondack chair just in this um, autumn kind of setting, just a single Adirondack chair, mountains in the background, very colorful, lots of leaves. Second book, I wanted that same Adirondack chair, but I wanted it in the winter, like outside a a ski resort. Um, And I actually sent stock photos of what I was looking for. And the third book, I wanted that same Adirondack chair, but now I wanted it near a football field. And each of those things was based on the theme of the story or the sister involved in her interests. When I got my first cover, it was orange striped wallpaper, with a 1950s-style cartoon television with the rabbit ears, and that was the cover they sent me. And I was crushed. And I spoke to my editor at a a conference about a month later, and she said, oh, what would you think of the cover? And I said, oh, that's nice, because what exactly am I going to say? And she said, oh, I'm so glad you liked it. My best friend designed it. It is probably wow. the ugliest cover I have ever seen in my life. It has won ugly cover contests. I'm stuck with it. If I want to change it, it, it would cost me $10,000. At the time, it was $10,000 because you have to pay the artist for the cover. Um, so naturally, the other two books followed that same pattern. Um, I have a blue-striped wallpaper background and a green-striped wallpaper background and that same cartoony kind of look to it. So that's one of the book, one of the series that I hope to regain the rights back. And the first thing I want to do is get my Adirondack chair covers when I have the chance. Right, so for right, me, right. Um, you know, self-publishing, indie publishing is the way to go. I like having the control. I like being able to have final say without having somebody else tell me, well, my best friend did this for you instead. So, um, So that's where I see myself heading in the future. I really like having that kind of um, manipulation all to myself. Mm-hmm. And so, and then the downsides in your, um, from your perspective of, of self-publishing versus being with a publisher, especially Montlake, I think I would imagine you get a lot of promotion act, um, opportunities on Amazon or, or are you just treated like every other book? How does that work? 
right now, I'm treated like every other book. When I first started out, because we were the original Montlake authors, we were um, acquired through a private publisher. Um, when Montlake decided to launch, in the beginning, we were seeing really nice sales, really nice um, promotion, and we had some kind of a name base growing. Um, since then, they've acquired their own stable of authors, and so the books that they've had originally have kind of stagnated. They haven't kept up with them. They haven't updated the categories they're in. So I actually see less in sales from my Montlake books than I see from my books that I self-publish and promote on my own. Really? Really? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that's – I had originally started – my first few books were with Lyrical when they were independent, and then they were mm-hmm. taken over by Kensington, which is a much bigger publisher. And I was very, very excited to be a Kensington author, but then I saw that absolutely nothing was done for that backlist, nothing. Right. And they also had – I had to give my next two books to them. Um, and I was like, well, why would I give you any more books if you're not even promoting what you have? And so I actually went back and got the rights, even though I was not entitled to them. Um, I did get the rights back. I think they were like, it's probably, and I wrote lots of letters. They probably figured, you know, I was, an, I was a new <laughs> author anyway. I've had no sales. Like, what was the point of dealing with this crazy woman? So they just gave me my, my books back. Not that I, I mean, I would have liked to have been with Kensington. I would have liked to work for the publisher because there were a lot of things I really liked about it. But, um, but to have books that were just thrown in the back and nothing done for them, like absolutely nothing. And there was no plan and there was no one to talk to. And I said, well, let me take it back. And, you know, maybe that was the right thing to do. Maybe it wasn't. I think it was during the, the indie heyday. So I was like, Oh, I can Mm -hmm. do this on my own. I think the challenge I have is that I do have a very demanding day job. I have a, you know, my child is still at home. So, um, I probably have not been able to do promotion as, as much as I should do in taking them back. But what was really nice is that I got to redo the covers because I really right. didn't like the covers. And even I've, my thoughts about those books have changed and I've, where I want, how I see my brand as developing has kind of changed. So last year I actually redid a lot of covers again to make them like look and feel the same way. So they're, mm-hmm. um, which you couldn't do, you know what I mean? If, you, if, if you're part of the publisher, like you said, you get stuck with the cover that you get and there's, there's right. no way to move. So, right. Now yeah, maybe it, you could tell us a little, Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say it, it. It's funny because I have one book that um, it was originally, I wanted a different title for it. They maybe changed the title because they felt that the title, the publisher had a, a, recent release with a similar title. So I changed the title to A Little Slice of Heaven because it takes place in a pizzeria. And when it was moved over into um, digital, because at the time, again, digital didn't exist, so it was only available in paperback and hardcover. When it was moved over into digital, they put it into Christian romance because it had heaven in the title. And it's not a Christian book. <laughs> Most of my books are sweet. There's not a lot of swearing. The, the, uh, usually the strongest word I use is damn. Um, but in this case, I was getting letters from readers who were livid because my book was not a Christian book. And how dare I? And no matter how many times I've contacted the publisher and said, you've got to move it out of this category, it stayed there until I re- reacquired the rights. 
That's so amazing. now I'm currently yeah, so now I'm currently working on updating it because it is again it was written in the you know mid nineties, so it's very ninety oriented. <laughs> there were no cell phones and uh you know, there's a lot of things that have to be changed. I think there's a C D player in it. <laughs> so I'll <laughs> um I'll re reorganize and update the book and I'm going to re release it under the original title that I wanted. <laughs> so but th- it's yeah. always a challenge. Right. But I mean, it, it is great that we have those opportunities and you can put what you want out there and hopefully, you know, it will find an audience. Now, right. you've obviously um, have been around for a while and have built up um, a fan base. What do you do in terms of promotion to try and reach more people? Is there anything um, special that you do? I am actually going to start focusing more on marketing coming up this year. Um, that That's my 2020 goal. Right now I have a street team that I use. Um, it is a super fan group that helps me promote. They promote for me on Twitter and on Facebook, and they automatically get sneak peeks of my books, my covers. They have input into them. Um, if anybody's interested in joining that, they can contact me at Gina at GinaArdito.com, and I'd be happy to add them to the list. Um, so that's that's a big push for me is to have that 50 or 60 readers who automatically review the book when it first comes out. They've helped me promote the book. They share my um, any social media posts that I put out. And in return, they get, as I said, they get free books. They get um free swag, they get sneak peeks at things, they get input into a cover. If I have something my cover artist sends me, I will give them the chance to critique it and say, well, I really like it, but I don't like that font, or I think this person should be bigger, or whatever it happens to be. That's a huge help to me. Um, I also do interviews like this. I do workshops, as I said, around the country. Um, And all of that helps to get my name out there. So the now the workshops that you do. Oh, go I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say. No, so the whole idea the is to just. <laughs> you keep talking over You go, you ahead. go first. <laughs> you're, okay. No, no, you're you're the guest. You go first. The whole idea is to find new ways to connect with readers, and that can be anything as simple as a talk at a local library. Um, it can be going to a craft fair or someplace like I did um, last year. I attended a Christmas fair in a local area, um, and I just set up a table, and I had my books, and I wound up getting a whole bunch of new readers that way because they're there looking for Christmas gifts for other people, and then they'll spot a Christmas romance or they'll spot just a book that catches their eye, and they're not even thinking about buying a book, but they're there, and they've got the ready cash, or I've got my little square reader with me, and they can just you know, swipe their card through, and you'd be surprised how well that works in these small different venues that are not just book saturated. Well, that's a great idea. And especially if you have the, the, the Christmas theme in there, you know, you have Christmas books, that's an even better way to get in. And, and you're willing to take a chance. I, I've done a couple of the um, library, you know, author where there's like 30 writers there. And I, I'll say that I won't do them again because it's very, very mixed. Um, right. And so, you know what I mean? Like there's, and it's funny, I've sat, I've been next to this guy. Um, he's a local um, Long Island writer who writes like police procedurals. And uh-huh. I was next to him. I was like, okay, well, we're not going to have the same audience. So all these, all these dudes 
were, were like salivating <laughs> over his police procedural and they wouldn't even look at me. I think one guy took some of the free candy that I had, but like, <laughs> what, what am I doing? <laughs> there are better well, things I could do with my time. It's funny. Two years ago, I had attended a local event. It was something brand new they were doing. It was for a um, local scholarship. And I think I sold maybe five or six books there. And then they sent me the invitation the second year. And when they sent me the invitation, I said, well, you know, I don't know. It it, it really didn't do very well for me. Um, and I was second-guessing myself. And then when they sent me the date, I was actually going to be away on that date, so I couldn't do it anyway. And a couple of days goes by, and I get a text from a neighbor friend of mine who I had met at a block party. And she said, oh, I just saw this advertisement for this local thing, and I thought it would be perfect for you because you could sell your books there. And then five minutes later, she dings me back, and she says, you know what? She says, I'm looking at it, and you're in the promo. She says, they must have used pictures from last year's event, and you're in the promo. She says, so I guess you already know about it. (laughs) Yes, I know about it. So you have to try, right? You have to try. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's the whole thing. You have to try different things. You have to be willing to fail. That's, I think, the biggest, whether you're just starting out as a writer and you want to sell your book to New York or to a a major publisher or whatever it happens to be, you have to be willing to take that dive and know that there's a very good possibility you're going to fall flat on your face. And you have to be able to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and do it again. Right. And that's right. the only way you learn, and that's the only way you grow. Right, and have confidence in what you're writing, right? You have Absolutely. to have confidence that you have something to say. And, you know, I think um, I think what's really difficult as a writer, at least that I've struggled with, is do I want to try and follow a trend? Um, do I want to write, you know, it's small-town romance, and I'm just taking that as an example. Do I want to mm-hmm. fit what I, my, my writing style to that? I can't. <laughs> I just write, try and start. I start off with, you know, one thing, like I just finished um, or started a paranormal uh, series. Um, See Me is the first book in that series. And that was supposed to be my, like, cleansing my palate because I just finished, like, a really kind of heavy book, Johnny Be Good. And I was like, no, this is going to be my palate. And it's going to be fun. And it's going to be at witches. And it's going to be good. Well, it was darker than anything I've ever written before. <laughs> and it's like, uh, okay, this is, this is really not going there. Um, so I, I, maybe I just have to kind of go with what I am. But um, so, you know, I think that you have to know who you are as a writer and what you're willing, what you want to say and, you know, live with that. And there are good things and bad things. I know that um, I had worked a couple of years ago. I was trying to get, you know, I was trying to do the New York publishing and trying to get an um an agent and there was that was actually a pretty high powered agent. And I, I didn't know how important she was because um, perhaps I would have acted differently, but she, um, she read my book cold spring and she said, I love your writing. I love, you know, she's from long Island. She's like, I love the long Island aspects of it. Um, but I, you know, I don't like the ending or really her relationship with that hero. Um, I really want you to write something like Me Before You. You know that book about, um, it was very popular, Mm -hmm. Jojo, I can't remember her name. but um, So I want you to write something like that. And I was like, well, that's a very um, hopeful, romantic book. Have you read my book? Because that's not what it is. It's not hopeful. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, you know, I really can't do that. And, 
you know, I, maybe I'd be further along my career if I'd been able to do that, but, you know, I don't know. But I, may, I had, but I had, then again, maybe yeah. not. Yeah. You know, because if it's not your voice, the one thing that readers can tell is, a, is an author's voice. They know right away who you are. And if you're not writing to your own self and you're writing to a market, there is nothing phonier than that, and a reader will pick that up. Yeah. Well, that's what I tell myself, Gina. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, it's what I, I tell myself, my... too, because my, the, the reason I started indie publishing was because I had this paranormal series, totally different than anything else I'd ever written. And as I said, the, the main character commits suicide in the first chapter. And the whole book is about her growth when she reaches the afterlife on the other side. And every editor, every agent I spoke to about this book and pitched this book to said, does she have to commit suicide? Can't she just, you know, get hit by a bus rescuing a puppy? And I said, no, she has to be totally broken in order to build herself back up. And that when I finally had exhausted every possibility, I said, all right, you know what? I'm just going to indie publish this. And I did. And um, it's probably one of my better sellers. It's still my favorite book of every book I've ever written. And I get so many letters from people who know someone who either attempted or committed suicide. And they thank me and they say, this gives me hope that there's something on the other side that they've learned. And Which what's is the nice. name of that book, Gina? Yeah, that book is that book is eternally yours. It's book one of my afterlife series. So I have a whole series of three of them, and it takes you through the idea that if you've ever seen Beetlejuice, there's a great scene in Beetlejuice where they're having dinner, and um, one of the characters says, "You know what happens to people who commit suicide? They wind up as um, public servants in the afterlife." And I took that and I ran with it. So in my version of the afterlife, there are different departments that these people have to work in in order to learn what drove them to suicide while they were on Earth. And so the first book begins with bounty hunters. They're bounty hunters. They come down to Earth and they retrieve the ghosts that have been trapped here or stayed here um, to haunt different areas. And they bring them back to the afterlife to be processed and move on to their next life. So it's an interesting idea, and um, and like I said, it, it, it seems to be one of my most popular series, and you would think something like that is very dark, and it's not. It's really light, it's a lot of fun, and it makes you think. Yeah, it sounds like a great book. I'm definitely going to put Thanks. that on my, on my list to read. Um, it's actually, right so, now, it's actually for free, and it's only going to be free until probably the end of the year. So I you know, advise anybody who's interested, download it now, because come January, you're going to have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, that sounds great. Well, let's talk a little bit, because um, cause you have been writing for a while, and, and it seems like you, you do a lot to give back to the community. You, um, you do a lot of these uh, these seminars and workshops. So maybe we talk about what you've done that side. But what you also do in, on your, in your um, social media is you're very giving to other authors. And that's how you and I connected because you said, anyone who has a, you know, an indie book, send it to me and I'll review it. And you've reviewed mm-hmm. quite a few of my books. And I know you do that for lots of other people. So, I, I mean, I certainly appreciate uh, 
because it's so hard to get reviews, especially when you're a new author. Um, so I appreciate that you gave me a try. But um, maybe we talk about what, why you are so giving and, and have other people reciprocated with you. Um, I, you know what, that is just who I am. And I, I know how hard it is to get your name out there. So every once in a while, about every three or four months, I'll put out a call either on Twitter or on Facebook. And I'll say, if you're an indie author, and you have fewer than say 12 reviews on your book, and it's over a year old, pitch it to me. And if it's something I'm interested in reading, I will read it and I will give you a review. And I post my reviews on Amazon Goodreads, and generally BookBub, um, but if you want it someplace else, just ask me, and as long as I can actually do it, if I'm a member there or whatever, um, I will post it elsewhere. The reason I do it is because I want to see other people thrive in this business. Nobody is my competition. There's room for everybody, and there's no better way to show that. And I do love to find a new author. Like um, when I first read you, it you blew me away. And so now you're one of my auto buys. I do have See Me. It's on my, uh, my, on my Kindle right now. You will always be an automatic buy for me. That's exciting to me. To find a new author, to have somebody that I just, you know, when you were a kid, you always found that new song on the radio. And then when everybody else heard that song, you were like, I was listening to that a year ago. I love that band. I've been loving that band forever. It's the same feeling for me when I find a new author. I get really excited about it. And if I can help promote somebody else um, and get them a readership, that gives me a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Is it reciprocated? Not often. Um, I don't make it part of the deal to reciprocate. Mm -hmm. I do ask that people, if I'm going to review your work, turn around and do it for somebody else. It doesn't have to be for me. Um, Right. Because, like I said, there's enough room for all of us. We all have our own flavors. We all have what we love to read. So just because I wrote, read for you and reviewed for you doesn't mean that my book is going to be your type of flavor. So I don't make anybody do it. But certainly look through the list of other books that are there that people are looking for reviews on and see if there's something that is your flavor and give it a shot. Um and again, the, the the most exciting thing for me is that I find new authors, and I find people that I get really excited about, and I can't wait. I, I walked into um, RWA's national conference this year, and I went to the literacy signing probably last minute. And there were maybe, you know, some of the authors had already packed up and gone home, and I was just wandering around, and there was a woman sitting there, and she had one book left, and think the book was called the dragon of new orleans now i have no idea who she is i have never read anything by her but i had just gone to new orleans this past year for the first time and i was really excited about it and i was like i haven't read a dragon book in a while and i bought her book and i read it on vacation a month later and she blew me away to the point where i immediately pre-ordered book two soon as i got book two i read that pre-ordered book three I just finished book three and pre-ordered book four. I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> and to me, that's that's like a new toy. I just found something new. And I can't wait to absorb it and to eat it and to just live and breathe it for those couple of weeks where I'm reading it. And then if she has a book five, I'll be sure to sign up for that immediately too. That's what I do. Right. 
Right, right. Well, and I know from the author's perspective, um, you know, it's sometimes you're throwing things out there and you're like, am I just shouting into the wilderness? So to get a, see a review that's very thoughtful and very balanced, right? I mean, you say the positive and the negative. And I can be brutally honest in it. my reviews. Yes. So, yeah, I, I usually warn people, if your book has not been edited or you're a brand-new author and you really can't take criticism, this is not the gig for you because I, I do try to be supportive, but at the same time, if there are weaknesses, I'm going to point them out. Right, right, right. So, but and that makes it more real, right? It. Right, exactly. No, it makes, makes it more legitimate real. to me. Yeah, it, it, because yeah. It, it's not just, oh, you're going to get a five-star review. I remember, I forget her name now, but there was that super reviewer on Amazon, and she just automatically gave every book four or five stars. And um, and when you got a review from her after a while, because everybody knew you got a four- or five-star review from her, it had no weight to it. It meant nothing. Yeah. My reviews yeah. still have weight to them. And but it's it, but it is like wonderful to hear to to you know as an author to say somebody got me somebody mm-hmm. somebody read me and you like you said I hope that people find an audience I find an audience for my books um, but there's plenty of room for everyone and so um, it's definitely for any of our listeners here give a new indie author a chance because you might be really surprised you might find you know your 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 favorite author so that's Absolutely. great and it's great that you're doing it I, I more people should i should do it more myself so i will that's that's my new year's <laughs> resolution my early new year's resolution so maybe we could talk a little bit about the the teaching that you do in terms of your workshops what mm-hmm. workshops have what are some of your favorite workshops and who are the audience for these workshops Uh, The audience varies depending upon what workshop I'm doing. I can tailor a workshop to any type of writing audience. Um, So the most popular workshops that I've done have been on um, mainly on characterization. I do a great workshop on using actor's exercises, um, using the um, method acting to come up with characterization for your books. And I actually, I had done this workshop just recently at um, a conference last year in Dallas. And after it was over, I think there were, it was during a conference, so there were a bunch of other workshops going on. So I think I had like six people in the room. And I was like, well, this is worth it, you know. But but one of the writers came up to me afterwards and she said, I had never thought of doing one of the skills that I teach. And she said, I'm going to implement that when I get home. And she just wrote me about two weeks ago to tell me she had implemented that. She said, it is my most popular book. It is flying off the shelves, and everybody says I nailed the characters. She said, and I never would have done that if it hadn't been for your workshop. And that just blew me away. That was really nice. So I do love doing that workshop. I do a workshop on humor. That's a lot of fun because I take examples from – Movies from music, I use a lot of weird Al Yankovic, and for those who are a little bit older, Professor Tom Lehrer, um, and I show you examples of how humor works and what exactly humor is and how to incorporate it into any story, whether it's a deep, dark mystery or an erotica. There's always room for a little bit of humor, and it helps break the tension in a scene or it connects the reader to your character a little bit better. That's a fun one to do. Um, I do a two-hour workshop called Basic Boot Camp, which is more for the beginner writer, and it takes you Mm -hmm. from every step 
of the writing process from beginning and how to start your book, the skills that you need to start your story, all the way to publishing and how to go about publishing and whether indie publishing is right for you or whether you're better off trying a traditional publisher. And um, that that's pretty uh, popular with large writing conferences. They seem to like that one a lot. Um, the reason I do it basically is I started doing it when I was in charge of programming for uh, my local writing chapter. And my my members would come up to me and say, you know what I'd love if we could do a workshop on such and such. And I would contact other authors and they wouldn't get back to me um, or they were booked. And finally I just said, well, all right, I'll do it. And I started researching it. And the more I did the research, the more I discovered that this was some way I could also give back to the writing community. And again, I'm all about giving back. I'm all about helping others succeed and giving anybody who needs it the tools that they need to make, to make it to the next level. That, to me, is very important. I learned a lot from people like the late Patrice Small, the late Edith, Edith Layton, who were so good to me when I was first starting out. And in some way, this is a way for me to show them that they not only taught me what I know, but they taught me how to be a really good and supportive author. And we we need more of those, right? Especially we definitely need them. in the yeah in this era of you know uh, you know Twitter wars and people kind of fighting with each other and you know this is supposed to be um, you know a positive artistic community and really isn't it better to just support each other? We can all have differing views, but I think ultimately let's support each other. And so I. I wish more people would adopt that that viewpoint, and and I need to adopt that viewpoint more as well. Um, you know, obviously, writing for me is is just a part of my life. Um, it's a very important part, um, but it can't be just my stuff, right? You have to. Right. I, I think you have to make room to to help others, and that's how you build relationships, like true relationships. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I think that's a great message. I really do. And it's one that I, I personally have to take it to heart a little bit. So, um, so before we, um, run out of time, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your latest release, which is Memories in December. Memories in December is book four of my Calendar Girl series. Each book takes place in a different month of the calendar year, obviously. They are all based in the fictional town of Snug Harbor, which is my version of Montauk Point, the farthest point east on Long Island. So um, in Memories in December, which was also a bit of a uh, transition for me because it's the first time I've done a heroine who's 70 years old. So in each of these books, there are two main characters, um, two heroines. In this case, um, it's 30-year-old Siobhan, um, who is a recovering bulimic, and her grandmother, who returns home after losing her husband while living in Florida. She hates Florida. Um, She is quirky and a little bit wacky. She went to Woodstock, so she's a very free spirit. She was probably one of the funnest characters I have ever written. And um, the reviews I've received so far on the book display that. They're, you know, Everybody says, Thea's a hoot. Thea's the best. I want to be Thea when I grow up. Um, she's a little bit like Lily Tomlin, um, especially in the Grace and Frankie series. She's a little bit yes. loosely based <laughs> on that. 
but she's just got this warm fuzziness to her um, that makes her an interesting character. And when she decides she's in love with somebody new, it changes her perspective on her marriage. It makes her think about things she hasn't considered before. And in the meantime, we also have Siobhan, who is um, trying to come back from a devastating loss of her parents and the fact that her business, she's a commercial photographer, and her business is starting to fail. Um, You know, photography these days is not as lucrative as it used to be. And she's dealing with um, trying to cope with the fact that she may lose her business and now grandma has come to move in and live with her. So it's it's a lot of fun. Again, most of my books are very lighthearted. They do tackle some serious subjects, but we do it in a way that provides hope um, so that it's not a deep, dark read. I, I like to think of them as beach reads, even if they are taking place in December and Christmas time. Um, it's a nice little Christmas romance. Um, I try not to use the word Christmas because the whole idea behind this is that Christmas is two days in the month. So it's more of a winter romance. It's more about mm-hmm. um it's more about how the town itself, which is its own character in this series, um, gets through each month. I know that in September when I start the series, it's right after the um the tourists are just starting to go home. And it's basically called tumbleweed season in December because by that point nobody's left but the residents you know in September you've still got a few tourists that stick around in October you have the pumpkin people by November they've started to move out and by December it's just the the local residents so you'll see the same residents pop up over and over again Uh, I am currently working on one of the three books I'm working on is a quickie short where I'm going to be dealing with Thea again, the grandmother in this book, because she is so much fun to write. I couldn't just leave her alone. So there'll be a quickie short called Fortune in Fortune on St. Patrick's Day, which is going to be just released in March, um, probably about 100 pages, and we're just going to follow mm-hmm. Thea when new things happen for her. <laughs> right. Well, isn't that funny how those secondary characters, you know, they, they keep – whistling in your ear and you uh you need to give them um a uh a, a book of their own i'm actually doing that right now with see me my secondary character character now um is getting the second book in the relax and witch series but i'm actually having a hard time like fleshing her out because um i kind of saw her as a smart aleck in, in book one and, you know, you have to make her more than that if she's going to carry the weight of her, her own book. So right. we could probably spend another hour talking about uh, secondary characters. But unfortunately, I think we're running a little bit out of time. So before you leave us, Gina, if you could just tell everyone again, remind them where they can find you online. Basically, type in Gina Ardito and you're going to find me. Um, but you can find me at my website, and if you're really interested, I do have an article on my website on cutting the secondary character down to size, which will give you some guidelines on how to create a secondary character who stays secondary in the first book but can grow and become its own character and a primary character in a, in a follow-up. Um, so that's at GinaArdito.com. 
you can follow me on Twitter at Gina Ardito. You can follow me on Facebook at Gina Ardito or Gina Ardito Author. Um, again, if you want to be part of my street team or my super force, um, you can just email me at Gina at GinaArdito.com. You can find me on BookBub as Gina Ardito. <laughs> And, of course, you can find me on Amazon as Gina Ardito. Excellent. All right. So everyone knows where to find Gina Ardito. Well, Gina, thank you so much for joining. This has really been a pleasure, and it's great that we could finally speak in person. Uh, We've been kind of online friends for a while, so that's been great. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone, um, again, I uh, have been a little lax in terms of uh, scheduling interviews. I have about 30 um, authors who want to be on my show. um, So I just have to find some time to schedule them. I'm hoping in the new year to schedule more. I want to get one more in in December, but I have about 65 plus um, author interviews in the archives. So if you haven't checked them out yet, please check those out. Um, And also I have my new books out that were out this year, Johnny Be Good, and also See Me, which is my first book in the Reluctant Witch series. So thanks again for joining me. This is Bernadette Walsh, Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.